0: quick orientation of what we do. It's kind of a NCF family church tradition where we do something known as a reading service. And this may not be something you've experienced in other churches that either you've attended on a Christmas Eve service because what we basically do is we actually read scripture uh, because we feel that what better way to actually know the story of Christmas than to actually go to the source in which we come across the story. Now, I know that might seem somewhat dangerous and and really a a big risk because of the fact that we are such a visual culture this time of year it's all about the lights it's all about the seasons of lights where we put up our trees with with lights and and candles and and everything is visual and of course we have a lot of christmas movies christmas plays where your eyes are engaged with so many colorful uh, light enchanting kind of stimulus uh, to your eyeballs but you know one of the things that we believe is that it's through the power of hearing god's spoken word as well as the words that reflect on the word of God itself that allows us to be more impacted and transformed than what we can be engaged with our eyes. Consider this quote from a theologian named Hans Blumenberg. He once said this. He says, The eye wanders, selects, and approaches things and presses after them while the ear, for its part, is affected and accosted. The eye can seek, but the ear can only wait. Seeing places things heard is placed that which makes unconditional demands is encountered in hearing conscience has a voice not light and i think that's such a powerful way to express of how when we hear what god says versus seeing what god does we are more in a position of having to submit to what we hear to where we cannot edit we cannot shut our eyes we cannot turn away but instead we must receive all that God has. And so it is my hope and prayer that as you hear and listen to the words of God and the reflections that are going to come out of those very words of Scripture that we read tonight, that you will find yourself more willing and more uh, in a position of surrendering to what God has to say so that you can be shaped by the Word of God and become more like the Word of God, Jesus Christ Himself. And so with that stated... We're going to spend a few moments of just preparing our hearts to begin tonight's worship service. If you've come tonight with a lot of the frustrations and a lot of the anxieties of this holiday season, let's take a few moments then just to prepare ourselves asking God to really enable us to receive all that tonight's service he wants us to give. So let's prepare our hearts now as we prepare for service. Father, we ask for your presence to be among us now as we now begin this reading service. Father, help us to really be engaged and to not let our minds drift away into boredom or fatigue, but instead help us to be alert and attentive to all the words that we will be hearing tonight so that we can be shaped by it more powerfully than what we can just simply see with our own eyes. Move into our hearts and the things that enter into our ears. We ask that you would be with us now in Jesus' name, amen and amen. So we begin tonight with the prologue entitled The Darkened World. Now that might seem like an odd way, maybe even an inappropriate way to begin a service that's all about festive joy and celebrated hope. But we must not forget that the only reason why Christmas is so full of joy and hope is because it is God's response to all that is wrong and broken with the world. You see, Christmas assumes the question, why is the world so dark? Why is the world so evil? You see, because it provides the only correct answer. Which means in order to properly enjoy the joy of Christmas, you must first know the answer to that age-old question. Why is the world so cold? Why is it so callous? Why is it so corrupt? And so, we are going to do that now by considering with our
1: opening reading. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, The man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I hate it." Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel.
0: As our great enemy, Satan, succeeded in causing the downfall of mankind and through it, the brokenness of the world, humanity found itself desperately trying to find a solution to this pervasive and cosmic problem. And throughout the ages, man has attempted to find this solution in the power of his hands or the wisdom of his mind that caused the advent of things like technology, philosophy, psychology, biochemistry, and the like, And though initially these things provided some semblance of hope time and time again, they have failed to provide the sense of permanent hope that we have been craving since the fall of man. And so mankind continued to wait for the advent of something that would be of permanence and of pervasive hope. Something that nothing that man has been able to conceive or imagine has been able to do. And so it is with that stage set, that we are now to prepare to hear what advent was to come that would provide these things as we now begin act one the coming light of hope
2: luke chapter one verses 26 to 38 in the sixth month of elizabeth's pregnancy god sent the angel gabriel to nazareth a village in galilee to a virgin named mary she was engaged to be married to a man named joseph a descendant of king david but the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her.
3: Martin Luther, the name of the maiden was Mary. The Hebrew form of the name is Miriam and means bitter myrrh. Why she was given this name I do not know, save that the Jews had the custom of naming children from the circumstances of the birth. Now the time when Christ should come was one of utter bitterness and extreme poverty for the Jews. They were a downtrodden people and their lot was pitiable like ours today, so that all might well weep bitterly. Among the downtrodden people, she was one of the lowliest, not a maid of high station in the capital city, but a daughter of a plain man in a small town. And yet this was the one whom God chose. He might have gone to Jerusalem and picked out Caiaphas' daughter, who was fair, rich, clad in gold-embroidered raiment, and attended by a retinue of maids-in-waiting. But God preferred a lowly maid from a mean town. To this poor maiden, marvelous things were announced, that she should be the mother of the All-Highest, whose name should be the Son of God. He would be a king, and his kingdom there would be no end.
4: and take heart Every longing you feel is a cry For the rest he has offered to all Come to him for his burden is light Do not fear Do not fear God who redeems you and never will
5: Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus.
6: The character of Joseph, the man God chose for his son to have for an earthly father, is not only interesting, it is also instructive to us. There are many who are righteous, but who are not kind. There are many who are kind, but who are not righteous. Joseph, however, loved God and his law, and that love of God touched his heart, causing him to be a kind man. When God chose a human father for his son, he chose a man who would be righteous and kind, qualities that reflect God, the Father himself. Is that not instructive for every one of us to be like our Heavenly Father and to be like Jesus' earthly father? Righteous and kind, concerned for God's law, concerned for God's people. God comes to Joseph with guidance from the angel. Notice what the angels call him, the son of David. Joseph was a humble man, a carpenter. He was not a great land magnate or a great merchant. He was not a famed man in his community. did not hold public office. He was not some sort of nobility. Yet the angel says, Joseph, remember who you are. You are the son of David. Before God calls us to obey, before he calls us a great task, he reminds us who we are in his eyes. Although Joseph may not have been impressive in the eyes of the world, to God he was the son of David, the man after God's own heart. Joseph was a descendant of the great precursor of the messianic king, he was the son of David.
4: A shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but a smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt nor a fear, not a sigh nor a tear, can abide while we trust and obey trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in jesus but to trust and obey we will do where he sends we will go never fear only trust and obey trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at Word.
0: reflect on how humanity responded to the forces of darkness historically, images of the well-armed soldier comes to the forefront of our minds. You see, violence and conflict have always been the consistent method of resisting evil in the world, so much so that we have come to believe that it's only through the use of power and force to which we can conquer darkness or at least contain it. But with the advent of God himself coming into our world so that he could actually overcome the darkness, we are shocked to discover the form in which he came. He didn't come in the form of a valiant soldier. He didn't come as a mighty potentate. He came as a helpless babe. Clearly, from God's perspective, his plan of rescuing mankind from the darkness of the world is very different from what man would imagine Such a feat would require. And because that is so, we can't help but to wonder how would God, excuse me, how would man respond to God's plan of overcoming darkness? How would humanity react when they would come to discover the way God in which he would vanquish all that is dark and evil as he did on Christmas Day? It is here that we are now ready to consider act two the arrival of hope and the mixed responses. Luke chapter two, verse one to
7: seven. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, He had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. James
8: Boyce. It's easy to understand why the common folk who filled the inn on that first Christmas did not receive him. For one thing, others had simply come first. The inn was full, and why should one who had possessed the wisdom to arrive early make way for those who came late, regardless of how pressing the need was? For another thing, there was obvious indifference. True, the woman was with child, but so were thousands of other women. Perhaps if they had possessed money, they might have been welcomed, but they did not. They were poor. So there was literally no incentive to show concern or attention, and Christ was crowded out. Am I describing your life? One commentator writes, every chamber of the soul is so filled with human interests that there is little room for Christ, there is little vital interest in him. There is little, if any, time for him. And this is so simply because our time is demanded by a thousand other things. Our interest is drawn off in a thousand other directions. And our life is crowded to the full with possessions and pleasures until, strange though it seems, there is no room for the Savior. Except in the
5: stable.
9: Luke chapter 2 verses 8 to 20 That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby guarding their flocks of sheep Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them They were terrified, but the angel reassured them Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them.
10: Francis Schaeffer, let us imagine that we are with the shepherds on those hills in Palestine. We have seen and heard the angels, and we have begun to run to Bethlehem. We come bursting into the presence of Mary, Joseph, and the baby. And immediately we wonder, what are we looking at? First of all, we are looking at a true baby. He is not an idea or a religious experience. He is a newborn infant who makes noises and cries when he gets hungry. What we are looking at is real, simple, definite, complete. We are looking at a true baby. This baby is God who has taken on flesh. But why did he come this way as a little baby? Why did he choose to lie in a manger and be cared for by a human mother with the sweetness but the utter weakness of a newborn babe? He did not come to overthrow the Romans. If he had, he would have come riding on a great conquering horse. The central reason he came was not to raise the living standards of the world. Surely if he had, he would have come down with money bags from heaven. He did not come primarily to teach and relieve ignorance. Perhaps then, he would have come laden with books. An angel had revealed to Joseph the primary task for which he came. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins.
0: Now consider the way God arrived into our world. We are immediately confronted with how different our solution is to God's solution in terms of solving the world's problem. And because of this difference, we discover that what we think is wrong is actually not right. So often we think that the location of all the darkness is outside of us, somewhere out there that manifests in the form of political oppression, economic injustice ethnic discrimination or ideological deception but considering what we have read so far and its reflection it's clear God would have us locate the darkness somewhere else somewhere much closer to us and that is our own hearts for it is in that very realm certain activities occur that do not occur anywhere else activities such as faith worship and even fear And as we realize this, we become aware that all of the conflict that creates problems and hardships, sorrows and sufferings are conflicts we are all participating in. And for God to come into the world the way he did is his way of asking us, are you going to stop this conflict that has caused the world to be so dark? And will you finally surrender to me in faith? It is to that question that we must ponder as we now go into Act 3, the conflict between a false king and a true king. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1
11: through 12. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his stars, it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then... Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And When you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. J.C. Ryle These verses show us a striking example of faith. These
8: wise men believed in Christ when they had never seen him but that was not all. They believed in him when the scribes and Pharisees were unbelieving, but that again was not all. They believed in him when they saw him as a little infant on Mary's knees and worshiped him as king. This was a crowning point of their faith. They saw no miracles to convince them. They heard no teaching to persuade them. They saw nothing but a newborn infant, helpless and weak, needing a mother's care like any of us. And yet when they saw that infant they believed that they saw the divine savior of the world they bowed down and worshipped him
12: Matthew chapter 2 verses 13 to 18 After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, Weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead.
7: Carl Lafferton. Now that Christ had been born, God's King of the Jews had arrived, and ultimately Israel belonged to him. The whole world did. Jesus had the greatest claim to be the ruler of Israel, not the Romans, not Herod. So Herod had a decision to make could accept that Jesus was king over him, or he could resist Jesus. He could push Jesus out of Israel so that he could carry on being the only ruler. He chose the second option. That attitude is what the Bible calls sin. It's the attitude which resists Jesus's rule, which would rather Jesus not exist, which refuses to accept that Jesus is the rightful ruler. Herod had a lot of turf, the whole of Israel. I don't have much at all, but I do have my own life. In my life, in what I do and say, and how I treat people, I'm the ruler. It's mine. Except that if Jesus is the Christ, if He's God's Son who created me and created the world I live in, then actually my life belongs to Him. He has the greatest claim to say how I should live and what I should do and how I should treat others in His world. He has a greater claim than anyone else, a greater claim even than mine. So, when it comes to the turf of my own life, I have a choice. I can accept Jesus' rule, worshiping him as my king like the Magi, or I can resist and refuse his rule like Herod.
13: Touch the
0: As we now come to the final act for tonight's service, we now understand why Christmas is the season of joy. It's not because of the year-end bonuses. It's not because of the wrapped gifts. It's not because of the holiday parties. No, it is because God has come to conquer the evil that is in the world and to restore all the brokenness because of that evil. But his triumph over all this darkness would not be through the means that we imagine it would be done. God did not come on Christmas Day to topple corrupt governments. He did not come to fix systemic injustices. He did not come to establish a utopian society, at least not yet. Instead, God came to us in his first advent so he could first reveal who he came to have for himself. And it was not the rich and the famous, the bold and the beautiful, not even for the religious and the spiritual. No, Christ has come for those who are willing and ready to confess that they are the reason why this world is so broken and so evil. Because it was through their sinisterness, their selfishness, their sinfulness that all the problems of the world exist as they do today. And so God has come to fix all those problems by coming to fix us. And he is ready and willing to do that for us if we are willing to receive by acknowledging who he is and who we are not. He is our Savior and our God. And he is the only one who can do these things. Let us now consider that as we come to our final act, those to whom Christ
14: comes. Luke chapter 2 verses 36 to 40. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was a daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God she talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for god to rescue jerusalem when jesus's parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the lord they returned home to nazareth in galilee there the child grew up healthy and strong he was filled with wisdom and god's favor was on him
0: james boyce who is the least important character in the christmas story I ask this question because far too much attention is given to the people who are thought by the world to be important. But Christmas is for little people. Christmas is not for the great of this world, at least not more than the others. It was not for the great in Christ's time. Caesar knew nothing of the birth of Jesus Christ. Neither did the Roman Senate, the Greek philosophers, the generals. Not even the Jewish high priest or the members of the Sanhedrin knew of it. Christmas was for the people who were not important. So again, I ask, who is the least important character in the Christmas story? The least important character in the Christmas story is one who receives only three verses in Luke's long account of Jesus's birth. And is not even a man. It is a woman and her name is Anna. Here was a woman who was certainly the least of all the little people of the Christmas story. She was widowed, she was old, Yet from what Luke tells us, she undoubtedly understood more about the full significance of the coming of Jesus Christ than any of the others in the Nativity narratives. What was it that Anna, the prophetess, understood about the coming of Jesus Christ? Anna understood that the infant Jesus was to become the Redeemer, the God promised to Israel. We know that because she pronounced his birth to all in Jerusalem who, like herself, looked for that redemption. The prefix of the word redemption, re, means again, and the main part of the word is based upon a root that means to buy. Redemption, then, is an act of buying something back or the act of purchasing it again. That is the basic to the biblical meaning of the term. But there is an additional, special overtone to this word due to the fact that in biblical days, it was used primarily for the act of freeing a slave. A slave could be set free if someone would pay the price necessary for his full redemption. When the Bible uses the term in a spiritual sense, it implies that although all have been sold under the slavery of sin and have been sold and resold as they have passed from one dealer in sin to another, Jesus Christ entered the marketplace in order to buy them back. That is what Anna the prophetess was waiting for God to do for his people in the city of Jerusalem. So... When she saw the infant Jesus, she recognized him as he would one day pay the price for our redemption from sin and its power. Christmas is not merely the story of the birth of a helpless baby in a stable, as beautiful as that may be, not the wonder of the shepherds, not the gifts of the wise men, not the enraptured singing of the angel chorus. The heart of Christmas lies in the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life.
4: Can we all rise for our final song? For God so loved the world that he gave his only sign That whosoever believes Will not perish They shall have eternal life Let's sing I shall hold I shall hold To the cross I shall hold to God alone for his love has salvaged me for his love has set me free for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes will not perish they shall have eternal life I i shall wait i shall wait upon the lord I shall wait upon his word, and by his grace I am released, and by his grace I am released. Shall have eternal life. Yes, they shall have
13: eternal life.
0: Amen and amen. We have now come to the end of our service this evening, and it is my hope and prayer that as you have heard the readings and reflection you will be prepared now to enter into this Advent with the posture of submission and surrender as our great God has done for us in the salvation of our soul. Amen. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.
4: And also with you.
0: Brothers and sisters, please hold out your hands and receive the Lord's blessing. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For our eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles, and for your glory to your people Israel. Amen.